0: on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey, and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides, and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. F. Scott Field, and I have with us today two very special guests, longtime friends, Dr. Mark and Ali Novitsky. Doctors, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you guys on here. Finally, this has been a long time coming. I go back to college days with Mark, my roommate at Wake Forest there, and also he and I both volunteered at Wake Forest Bowman Gray Hospital there at the Baptist Hospital, and, and that was in the physical therapy department. As many of you know. That was what kind of got me started on the physical therapy journey. But guys, if you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit about your educational journeys and, and how it led you to where you are today.
2: Thank you. So good to be here. We really appreciate ha- having us on the show. I'm Allie. And so my educational journey. So I went to Seton Hall, so not Wake Forest, but different different school and got my, you know, the traditional bachelor's of science because I knew I was going to go to med school, right? My, my father's a physician and he really inspired me. And so I took my MCAT, right, and got into medical school at Temple. And from there, uh, four years at Temple, um, which was amazing. I I can't even like, I feel so thankful that I was able to go to that school, quite honestly. And then from there, Temple Medical School, I chose a pediatric residency at Thomas Jefferson University and the AI DuPont Hospital for Children and didn't want to stop there, decided I needed more education. So I became specialized in a neonatal intensive care, as a neonatal intensive care doctor and did another three years of fellowship and then came out as a board certified neonatologist and, you know, went to work right away. And so that kind of is where it starts, but I'm a lifelong learner and then eventually went on and got my obesity medicine certification. So that's what you got for me.
3: (laughs) All right. Well, I, as uh, F. Scott mentioned, uh, we met at Wake Forest. When I went into Wake, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do medicine or business and quickly decided I didn't want to make money. So I went into medicine. And so uh, um, went the, the closest thing we had to pre-med there was uh, health and exercise science and then got into Temple Medical School where I met my lovely wife. And through Temple, my father was also a physician and he's a psychiatrist. And so I always heard about the field and was always intrigued. And I also saw he was, he was a guy who thought outside of the box and always knew how to do the hustle. And so that was an easy fit, but I intentionally pushed that off until later in the third year clinical rotations. But when I hit psychiatry, it was a natural fit and went on, stayed at Temple for my residency, was chief resident at Temple, and then did a child fellowship at Thomas Jefferson University, in, uh, also in Philadelphia, was chief fellow there. While in my fellowship, I actually wa- was doing a rotation at a local residential, and on Christmas Eve one year, the residency director was actually the um, medical director there. He, he called me up And he said, hey, you got to do me a, a favor. One of the psychiatrists just let me know that she's leaving and won't be back for four months. I need someone. Can you start next week? And so I was still in training, but said, hey, you're my residency director. Open up X number of hours and I'll be over there. So got my feet wet, did a lot of the side hustle, worked hard. My father showed me the way. And so I've been... You know, very much in the psychiatry world, child psychiatry. Have been doing outpatient, primarily recently, and uh, also some forensic expert witness work. But most recently, have taken a step back and have joined forces with my lovely wife here.
2: Yeah, I didn't get into all the stuff that I did clinically, probably because it's such a you know dream now. Like I feel like it was so long ago that I was practicing full-time clinically. And now I have my own full-time business life coaching for women physicians and Mark, this is his second weekend and that's what I do now. So I can talk all about like the clinical stuff, but again, really my focus now is on serving women physicians.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, how we met story, the, uh, the love story that blossomed from med school to to now uh, married and two kids tell us, and now working together too. So tell us a little bit about that journey.
2: So it really just started as a friendship. Um, everybody thinks that we're lying about that, but it's true. Um, so about November of first year of medical school, uh, somebody needed a little help in histology.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> more of an audio person. Uh, F. Scott and I love music. So throw some audio my way. Great. But visual, not so no bueno.
2: Yeah. So he needed a histology helper, AKA tutor. And so, you know, I lived in the Northeast, in Northeast Philly with my brothers, and it was kind of on the way, kind of on the way to his house. And it just turned out that we started studying together and kind of just really developed a really nice friendship. We had other friends that we would all go out as a big group, really nothing serious at that point. But as kind of, we hung out 24 seven is really what it became. I was the one who started to really have more than just friendship feelings.
3: <laughs> well, in, in retrospect though, I was having those same feelings, but I was 22, 23 years old and I had met the absolute love of my life. And I was not about ready to jump into that because I didn't want to lose you.
2: So funny. So anyways, we developed a really strong friendship, which to be quite honest, it's really how we're able to have two kids and raise them together and be together a lot and be in business together. It's that friendship that really kind of does that for us. So long story short, and I'll spare you all the really, really sappy details, but I told him I was in love with him. He just wanted to be friends. And then two weeks later, he came around and realized that he had to give it a go.
3: <laughs> and and I went up there and I said, I love you. And I want to spend the rest of my
1: life with you.
2: I'm like, I thought you just wanted to be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to go on a date.
1: Two, about- weeks <laughs> two weeks can do a lot to a man, you know, it's.
2: <laughs> so uh, we started dating and third year residency. We got engaged. We were married by fourth year. And then uh, we had our first daughter th- probably three or four years later when I was finishing up my fellowship. And. Then we moved into our forever home, and we were both working really, really hard clinically. As I mentioned, I was a neonatologist, still am, but I was working full time, twenty-four hour shifts, and Mark was pulling the hustle with, I think, four jobs at that point. Yeah,
1: at one point I had about six jobs. Yeah, that that reminds me very much, like I said, of your dad. Just uh, <laughs> you know, the insanity that uh, that goes on to get through. Uh, life as as you know a doctor and and you know through medical school and then on to real life and kids and all that so uh you know I appreciate you guys for for all the hard work and everything and you know like I said I think your folks did a great job uh raising you guys but tell us a little bit about Uh, some of the trials and tribulations and struggles that came along with uh, medical school and doing that together and then eventually married. And then shortly after graduation, all the things that come along with that, the student loans, the residencies, the fellowships and all that. Tell us a little bit about the, the tough times there and some of the things you had to navigate going through all that. I think boundaries,
3: medical school does not teach you how to set limits or boundaries. In fact, you are applauded if you go the extra mile. Um, and it's not always for our patients. You know, we're all going to do that no matter what. But if you're staying later, if you're giving up, if you're sacrificing your personal life, the best uh, for the team, truly taking one for the team, um, you get honors and So that's something that over time we were always, you know, if we look upstairs in the office, there's tons of awards that Allie has. My daughter was just commenting on them. Wow, you you both have a lot of awards, but it was because we put our head down and we had this understanding. It helped that we were both doing the same thing and saw each other's perspective, but it's unsustainable.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. So in terms of the medical culture, I'm sorry. I'm going to say it. It sucks. And what happens is exactly what Mark said. If you want to be successful and think about who goes into medicine, right? Or medical fields, perfectionists do, right? So put your head down, be, be perfect. If you're not perfect, it's not good enough. And even if you're perfect, it's still not good enough. Don't go to the bathroom. Don't drink. Don't eat. You are basically being ruled by whoever gives you your W2 paycheck. And I think that going through it, it felt really amazing because I had this guy by my side the entire time. So we were, this was something we were conquering together. We got it. So I knew when Mark came home post-call, he's allowed to sleep all damn day. And then we're going to go to iron hill and we're going to get nachos and we're going to get sweet potato fries and we're going to get some burgers. But right there, you see. The bad habits that develop with being in kind of a really rigorous system, (laughs) We don't, we're not super healthy typically, right? So in order to even go ahead and find the health mentally, especially we know now that we have a huge mental crisis on our hands, the emotional health, we don't even talk about that. So one of the things that we talk about as physicians is that physicians don't really even know how to feel anymore because we're so detached. And that really kind of leads into the whole burnout piece and then the physical. Okay. So, you know, this is what I do now. I devote My whole career to helping women get healthy women, physicians getting healthy, the time trying to find the time to fit a 20 minute workout in trying to find the time to pack a healthy meal, trying to find the time to drink enough water or do a meditation, all those different types of things. So I think as we went along, I saw those things, Mark helped me to get through it and we made light of it but I knew that that couldn't be the end point. And so I feel for the people where right now that's where they're living. And so that's why I do what I do.
3: And that's kind of where I was this last year with the pandemic, you know, virtual schooling, um, the demand for a child psychiatrist or a therapist in general was never more um, because so many kids were struggling. Parents were struggling, you know, Am I screwing my kid up? Which I just, with Allie's program, introduced one of those uh, lectures. So it's, and what did I do? Well, we've got two kids upstairs and uh, I said, sure, I can do an 8 p.m. appointment. And my kids were up on their iPads and I feel really guilty about that. And what do we as physicians do when we feel guilty? Maybe we eat more, maybe we follow our, our vices and it, I was living exactly what you're teaching people not to do. So I, I needed to make the jump as well.
1: Yeah, I don't know how accurate this is, obviously, because I haven't gone through medical school. But one of the things very early on that kind of dissuaded me from, from heading that direction was a sense of almost like hazing, like being on call for like those many hours and like then having to still perform at a high level and, and work that hard, it just seemed like, well, you know, there's better ways to do it. Why haven't we evolved to those yet? You know? And it's like, well, we had to do it. So you have to do it. You know, it's like, I, th- th- we're just not treating our doctors. And and I think now it's coming to fruition that that doctors are leaving the healthcare field or people are just not going into the medical field as much because they don't want to put up with it. Stuff they've had to put up with the last couple of years, so you know, kudos to you guys for for surviving it and getting through it, which now kind of leads me to to where you're at now. Uh, You know, you guys have both kind of taken a a pivot, and uh, I love that. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how you know you had the the courage and the the foresight to to kind of leave the medical field sort of or, or go medical field adjacent, I guess. Uh, and tell us a little bit about your business now, Ali, and what you're doing and how you brought Mark into the to the, the the good side of things.
2: Yeah, definitely. All right, so let's just put it this way: after my first. Our first daughter was born. I had postpartum depression. I always say my, but I mean our. (laughs) She always does that. (laughs) I had postpartum depression and it was so interesting. We were working so hard. Mark was working so hard that we didn't even know that's what I had. It was just, it was unreal. So, anyways, we discovered it about six weeks in you know, and I went to a therapist and I was able to get better pretty quickly just by doing the cognitive behavioral therapy alone. Um, so with that being said, when my, when our second daughter was born, um, I was full-time at the hospital and we unfortunately had to send home our au pair that we had hired for some mental health reasons. And, um, that was a whole other story. Um, really sad story, but she had to actually go home and I actually had asked to go to 0.8 at work. Because I didn't know how we were going to do it. We had to hire a nanny. We, we didn't have much help. I mean, my mother-in-law is super helpful, but again, we needed somebody like all the time. And I can remember thinking, is this, I have to leave my six week old. Like I'm leaving my six week old right now. Is this what I signed up to do? So I tried to go point eight. Well, it turns out that nobody ever made the phone calls that had to happen for me to go 0.8. So while I was working 0.8 hours, it turns out that I had to make up all the additional hours because I never actually was 0.8. And I said, no way in hell. You can see how fired up I was. And I said, no way am I going to live in a system where I can't even get kind of the help that I need. So I'm going to create it myself. So, I basically sat back. I knew this wasn't forever. I was going to go up. I was going to do a great job. I was going to take great care of my patients, but I had my eyes wide open. I said, I'm going to find something that is going to be on my terms. And from there, I went into a, a medical director position with Optum Health, which was really life changing, not in the sense that that would be the career that I kind of. Uh, wanted to stay in forever, but I really learned a lot on the business end, on the relationship end, having difficult conversations end. And it was there that I found physician coaching. And I found a role model who was a physician coach and was really successful. And I loved what she was doing. And so I literally, as soon as I met her, three weeks later, signed up to go to coaching school to become a coach. That was in 2017. I became a coach in 2018. And then in 2019, I was full into my business for life coaching for women physicians. And that's what I do now. So I have a four-tier program where essentially I help, again, I'm going to put in parentheses cure mental, physical, and emotional burnout for women physicians. And that's what I dedicate my whole career towards now because I lived it. I went through it. And there's a better way. And I can tell you that in my community, people are, women are absolutely thriving. It's a safe space. It's what's needed. Physician coaching is blowing up right now. There are new coaches being certified every day because of the need, the need is there. And I'm just so proud that I was one of the kind of founding people to really start doing it in the medical world. No, it's,
3: it's so true. It it's a field where as a psychiatrist, Admittedly, when I first heard it, I was like, "Oh, life coaching. What is this? Is this like therapy light?" But I have a colleague who's a psychiatrist, and he was walking over. We share space. We were talking about, uh, you know, some business, and he heard Ali in action and was like, "She's doing cognitive behavioral therapy." So much like anything in the field, it's you know, there's going to be varying levels of quality, but. Um, the thing about Ali is she she does coaching, but then really over delivers and we've we've talked about that before in terms of um, what what exactly you're getting.
1: Yeah, I think one of the big things, you know that the pandemic showed us is that, we're not bulletproof right you think especially i know in the the world of physical therapy you know you think ah oh, it's a great job you know they'll always need us uh you know it's very recession proof you know you you'll be fine right well i'm sure the same thing goes for for doctors right but the the pandemic showed us that you know the healthcare field was not exactly taken care of the way that it should have been on many levels, not just from like an employer to employee benefits and, and you know, uh, paycheck kind of aspect, but from a, a personal, internal mental health, physical health, you know, emotional health, uh, all of that, we, you know, well, and it sounds cliche to say this, but even as, as healthcare providers, we're generally terrible patients. We don't do a great job of taking care of ourselves. We, we care enough to help everybody else, but a lot of times we're neglecting ourselves. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes we just need that reminder. We need a coach, right? I mean, even some of the best athletes in the world have coaches, right? So, you know, I, I don't know if, if it was just, you know, Hey, there wasn't too many of them and it wasn't a, a big enough field that people just didn't know about it. There wasn't an awareness, or if there was a little bit of uh, of shame, maybe, or, or, you know, feeling like, oh, I, I don't want to go to a coach. I don't want to admit I need help. But like, you know, again, if, if it's good enough for pro athletes, I think it's good enough for the general healthcare provider, you know? Well, tell me a little bit about this. You know, couples in the medical field uh, happens, right? It's a thing. I, I had two couples in my PT program that ended up getting married. Um, you know, I see it in my students now that I'm teaching. It happens, you know, at least once a trimester, you know, one of the couples gets married. I'm sure in medical school, it's the same thing, you know, couples happen. What are some tips and tricks and pointers that you guys have for couples that are going through a healthcare program or, you know, whatever it may be? How how do you guys kind of best navigate that situation? Because I know that, can be tough. Having a relationship in general is tough, but then having the added pressures of both having to go through a medical program has got to be rough as well. How how do you guys work through that?
2: That's a really good question. And I'll talk about it, but I think like find somebody with the same letter last name that you have. So you don't have to change your initials. If you decide to change your name (laughs) is like definitely the first. No, I'm just kidding. I think it's really just finding kind of yourself before you just start before you decide to go and find somebody else. And the reason why I say that is because you're going to need somebody else in a relationship to offset what stresses you out the most. And so this happened naturally for us, but Mark is definitely, it's interesting. He's like very laid back on the things I need him to be laid back on. <laughs> and then the, the, his other things. He's not so laid back about, which is good it serves us well, but I think it's finding is somebody who you can really connect with on that emotional level and not be afraid to talk about it because in the way that you'll do that is by forming friendships, by just kind of, you know, noticing, you know, who you connect with, who you click with and having, as I said, some conversations right up front, because what happens a lot, which what we see with couples is whose career is more important, who should be working more, who should be staying home with the kids more, who's making more, there's competition, there's comparison, there's all those things. So for us, I think because we met so young and we started it from the beginning, we avoided a lot of that, but I think it's ultimately finding a friend who you can connect with on an emotional level.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, I think with that, also maintaining the relationship outside of medicine so we need boundaries and it's something that we talk about a lot and it, and and you have to keep working at it too so we actually have meetings um business parenting and then relationship just kind of check-ins routinely so things don't come easily necessarily but maintaining boundaries from talking about medicine because when you're burned out and you're talking about how burned out you are if it, it You need some time to recover. And are you really recovering if the other person's complaining about how this um, co-worker said this and the drama about work? So making sure that you do prioritize that sacred space of the relationship outside of
2: work. I really like that. And just want to add also helping each other to maintain those boundaries. So many times Mark will say, are you on your phone right now? Because it's not business time. Or I'll say you scheduled a 6.30 PM appointment. That's not part of your protocol anymore. And so I think like having somebody to be able to back you up, because as you said, you can set the boundaries, but the harder work is maintaining the boundaries.
1: Yeah. Accountability, I think uh, becomes huge in any relationship, you know, and having that partner that can not only back you up, but also hold you accountable to the things that you said you were going to do is, is very huge. You know, I definitely, my, you know, my wife's stay at home mom and and her job, I think is a million times harder than mine. So, you know, I, anything that I can do to try to help out is, is, is fine by me. You just let me know and I will do my best to do it, you know, because I, I know how tough it is. Um, so I have one uh, last topic I kind of want to touch on before we get into the the big question that we ask everybody. But uh, this, this kind of resolves or re- revolves around finances, right? In physical therapy school, when I went through school, it was a master's program. It's now evolved into a doctoral program. Um, and for whatever reason, I felt that it was a good idea to pursue the transitional doctorate seemed like that's where the profession was heading, even though I've seen zero uh, pay fluctuation because of it. So I don't know why I did that. But regardless, uh, you know, when I when I went through it, I would say that the cost of getting through undergrad and then a PT program when it was a master's was probably somewhere depending on where you went. You know, in the 50 to 75, maybe $80,000 range. It's slowly crept up now, and we're looking at, at student loans uh, upon graduation for DPT students anywhere in the one hundred dollars to $300,000 range. For a job that when you first graduate as a new grad, you may be making sixty-five dollars to $75,000 a year. I mean, you could hit a, a six-figure job if you, you know, work in the right location in the right setting, like a home health or you know a, a skilled nursing facility or something. But it's not very, very common. And and I think the debt to income ratio for physical therapy is bad and getting worse. Right? It's it's becoming not very sustainable. Med school has got to be even worse than that. I can't even imagine the you know amount of debt that that comes with with going through undergrad, and then med school, then residency, then fellowship, it just seems to, you know, keep tacking on. And eventually, you do make the salary to kind of help offset that. But, you know, what does that look like going through all of those programs uh, for med school, and then leading to residencies and fellowships? And what does the financial burden feel like for that? And, and how do you kind of best attack that, uh, you know, as a couple, especially with both being doctors?
2: And I think the other thing to add here, which is probably even a bigger issue is that most people going into medical school aren't having great financial advisory. And so when all of our friends started investing and started having 401ks at the age of 21, you got out of med school, right? Like you're 26 and you're like, Oh wait, I have to save for retirement. Like you don't have any idea. So you already feel like, you know, and then you go into your residency job where you're making less than, you know, 50,000 a year um, for what, six years, like that's what you're doing after all that. And then you get to be 30 something and it's like, okay, so let's go buy a house. (laughs) And so I think there's this big, huge misconception that doctors are rich and doctors make so much money and they can afford it. They're a doctor. We come, we actually have, you know, uh, people come to do, give us quotes on things we need done around the house. Oh my gosh. 75% upcharge. I'm sure because they think that we're physicians. And we can just, you know, go ahead and afford it. And I can tell you that, you know, I think every situation is completely different. I think, yes, if you're taking out full loans, well, it, depend on, it depended on, you know, where did you go to undergrad? Did you take loans out for undergrad? Where did you go to med school? Did you take loans out for med school? Like all of those things are just so dependent. So I think there's an, a ginormous range of what those loans will look like. And so I think as a couple, I think it's just being kind of really upfront about, okay, this is going to be uncomfortable, but this is where we are. This is literally where we are. And now what can we do to slowly close the margin? And I think that that's the key because a lot of times we get so overwhelmed thinking, oh my goodness, there's so much we want to buy a house. We want to start saving for kids. Our retirement doesn't look so great and we have these X, Y, and Z loans. So I think it's just probably going ahead and pulling some help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. A lot of times we kind of shy away from maybe asking for financial help because we think it's going to cost us more money, but I think it's meeting with somebody and really having a surefire way to attack your individual situation.
3: I mean, that's really well said. I think about all of our colleagues, um, as Dr. feel knows, um, I lived at home during medical school. Um, Allie lived with her brothers slash was over our place most of the time, but all of our friends who were living in center city, Philly in these expensive, maybe they even went all out and got a two bedroom, um, and, and then the price of living in the city and going out for drinks and uh, expensive meals, like all of that adds up. And I'm pretty certain that if anyone sat down with some of these these colleagues and said, hey, this is how much you have. This is This is the best approach. You know, they might've rethought things. We were lucky enough to have family that was, um,
1: able to to cut a lot of the cost off for us yeah, and um, shout out to mom and Pop Novitsky for putting me up for one of my clinical rotations so I appreciate that as well that's right
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely
1: so so yeah
3: I mean thinking about the the finances one one thing and I, I think this is really where medical school and health training in general fails and that's in terms of talking about the finances. And even, you know, in terms of me as a psychiatrist, how do you start up your own business? So a lot of that is many people learn by failure. Many people, unfortunately, in this system learn by getting in debt. And that is not, we can't be trying to fix the problem after it's already occurred.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, we're the same way. It's good. Not good. I mean, it's, refreshing though to hear that that's one of the issues in medical school because in physical therapy school we're not taught anything about business or finances as well same thing with student loans it's an afterthought it's like you graduate and you sign the promissory note and you're like all right now you owe all this money uh, good luck you know whereas i and i don't blame the graduate schools or the medical schools i i go back to even high school i feel like we should be learning a little bit more about finance and like you know how to balance a checkbook and like you know what APR means and credit cards and all that, and like how a mortgage works. Like, I feel like that needs to be more of a foundational teaching at the lower levels of high school. And then, you know, one of the tips that I'm preaching to my kids, I hope they'll listen. I don't don't know if they will, but had I to do it all over again, I would have gone to a community college for two years, gotten, you know, straight A's, then gone to a state school for two years, you know, graduated there, probably gone to a state school for graduate school as well, you know, and then if I ended up pursuing a PhD or an EDD, like I ended up doing it probably at that point wherever, cause it wouldn't have mattered. I would have had enough money to, to take care of that. But, you know, I kind of did it backwards, you know, Mark and I went to Wake Forest, which was a private school. Uh, and then I went to a state school for, for my master's, which was nice. But then again, a private school for my doctorates. So, you know, I ended up with about $140,000 worth of student loan debt and, uh, you know, two doctoral degrees. So, I was a little worried. I think it was definitely, uh, you know, stressful. Uh, I'm in the middle of my EDD, and I'm like, I don't even want to teach. Why am I doing this? Like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. But luckily, I had some some good coaches and some good uh, mentors that taught me that, you know, as long as you leverage your, your skill sets, uh, like we talked about, and you know, all these great skill sets that we learn going through our programs can be used in other avenues. And I think that's huge if you learn that early on. You can turn your medical knowledge and your medical experience into something bigger and better, like you guys have done. So, you know, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, and again, knowing nothing about your financials or anything with the business, you you can make a good salary as a doctor or you know physical therapist or nurse or whatever it may be. But you can also run your own business and make just as much, if not more but have a little bit more of the time freedom. You know, the financial freedom is nice if you can match that salary, but the time freedom and the ability to do what you want to do, how you want to do it, to me is more important, I think. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how your business has kind of led to to that outcome.
2: Yeah, so, uh, you know, when I first went into my business, it was much, very much a side business. I was still doing my full-time role as medical director, And Mark was really the one bringing home the income. Like he was, you know, I I was making a good salary. Do not get me wrong. Like I was making plenty of money as uh, same kind of salary as you would expect for a neonatologist. And from there, Mark was definitely hustling and doing all the things. And then when I was in the side business and my salary was approaching, you know, what I was bringing in income wise from the business was approaching my medical W-2 salary. I knew it was time. And that was kind of the goal I set for myself. Now, I didn't think it would surpass that right away, but every year I kept doubling. And I mean, I'm really proud this year, we actually broke seven figures. Um, and that's with, again, like three employees, a couple of contracted coaches, um, Now, it'd be nice to say that the time factor, (laughs) I work my butt off right now, which, like, I'm going to put it out there. This isn't like, oh, it's so passive. I'm making passive money. No, entrepreneurs will work (laughs) 80
1: hours a week so that they don't have to work 40 for someone else, right? That's exactly
2: right. And so with that being said, like, you know, and again, I'm not one to really talk a whole bunch of numbers, but I do put that number out there because I want people to know it's possible. It it really is. And I think it's possible for anybody who has the passion to want to do it. I I absolutely do. There's a billion business models. There's one that will work for you. And if you have the drive, you can make it happen. And so I want to put that insight out there because if I didn't have that insight, if I didn't have that hope, I think I would have been in a very different space right now.
3: Yeah. And to kind of follow up on that, I think as we're talking finances, something that we learned that was not taught in our training is the difference between being a 1099 incorporated and everything's running through your business versus being W2. Being Getting 1099 income gives you a lot more flexibility if it's coming in through the business, because then there's a lot more uh, potential tax exemptions.
1: Yeah, I think it would have been really helpful to have somebody come in, you know, early on in the medical programs, first first semester, and just coach this stuff and teach this stuff. And it may, you know, take one or two classes, maybe more, I don't know. But it would be nice to have somebody literally track and go through your entire journey and what it's going to look like when you graduate, when you take all these loans, if you have to, and whatever it may look like for different people just kind of runs through some of the scenarios so people can see what it is they're actually signing up for. You know, unfortunately I feel like that might lead to a little bit more dropout, but you know, I, I think it would also avoid some of the unpleasantries that happen after you graduate and people are, are mounted with this crushing level of debt. Um, you know, and, and again, it's just part of the broken system, you know, a, a broken educational system that eventually leads to a broken medical system. You know, and I don't, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but you know, we're, we're struggling right now. Healthcare is definitely struggling. And, uh, you know, it takes champions and warriors like you guys to kind of turn that around and, and get the message out there that, Hey, look, there is hope. There's people out there that are doing the right things that are trying to help. Uh, you just got to find them, you know, you got to use your network, you know, get out there and talk to the right people. Uh, I know we talked about, uh, bad financial advice and, and how that, that can lead to, to bad roads and bad routes, but I think it can be navigated if, you know, you're talking to the right people. So I, I think you know kudos to you guys for for doing a great job and helping a, a good group of strong and powerful women that are are gonna be the next leaders in healthcare and hopefully turn this thing around. Well, I have one final question for you guys. Uh, it's a question we ask all of our guests. Uh, if you could change one aspect of higher education, you know whether it be med school or whatever, uh, what aspect would you change and how would you change it?
2: Yeah, I actually well, this is the first thing that came to my mind. I would actually say don't pick your educational path based on what you think you want to be. Pick it off of what is your passion and what's going to support your passion and then find out where it goes. You know, our older daughter, she is very gifted in art. And before I became an entrepreneur, I would have been really worried (laughs) and I would have thought, okay, great. (laughs) So she's going to sell some paintings.
1: Well, hey, now you can just get her an NFT business, you know, and just let her put her art out there. She'll be fine.
2: Well, exactly. (laughs) And now I'm like, uh, we're on to something here. So do you see, I think that it can open up a lot for society by higher education saying like, hey, listen, let's see what your strengths are and let's go after those. It's kind of even like the school we just put our kids in. It really stresses academics, athletics, accountability, and you know, just being a good person. And so through that, they're going to discover what it is that they were meant to do. And I just think that if higher education can kind of take a lesson from that, I think we're going to have a lot of people who are really darn passionate about what they're doing and whether it is medical field, which it will be for many, they're going to approach it with a much different mindset.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, Ali. I think you know, not college isn't made for everybody, and that's okay. I think we need to not normalize that. I, I don't like using that word, but like, you know, trade schools are totally fine if you're totally into, you know, cars or, or you know, mechanics and and, and stuff like. Do that. Do you, you know, what's going to make you happy. I think if if we preach that again at a much younger age, I think it would sort a lot of problems out further on down the line with people going into fields or doing things they didn't really want to do because they were trying to appease somebody else or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that's a great, great aspect. Mark, how about you? Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned
3: the mechanic, our next door neighbor, he owns a, a shop and he was just preaching the same thing last last year when we met up for actually the summer when we met up and he was saying there's just such a need so few people are going into that We looked to do an addition on the back of our house and everything was jacked up um, just because there's such a shortage of workers and plus the supply costs up to answer the question what is one thing that I would change I definitely would have, appreciate it more in terms of guidance um, in with finances, uh, just because even the idea you mentioned the 401k, being able to put some of that money away pre-tax and build that up over time, you look at what the market's done and it's like, you mean I would have had this much of a nest egg if, if every year I was able to, you know, cut some corners here and there maybe not go to starbucks every morning and instead put x amount into this account and uh you know a a lot of our friends f scott from college went into business and we quickly while we were still in school saw them with tons of money to blow and financially they were putting all that money away and they're doing pretty well for themselves at this point Um, But, you know, you and I were still scraping by and, um, you know, hitting up the ATM and paying for it later. So, yeah, I think having more emphasis on career-based outcomes, not necessarily just what's in the best
1: interest of the institution. Yeah, I, you know, there's a lot to unpack there, right? Like one, there's only so many corners you can cut and so much you can budget that it's going to make that much of a difference for you. I think still at the end of the day, you have to look at the other end of the spectrum, which is just make more income, right? So again, I think what you guys are doing and starting your own business, to me, that's most of the time, that's the answer is, is starting your own side hustle or business. And if it grows to be a full-time gig, great. But uh, at the very least, you know, there's some tax implications that are helpful. Uh, there's a lot to to you know, benefit from if you start your own business. So I I think that's always an option. I think people need to look into that more. Um But at the end of the day, e- even if you have that money coming in, you still have to know where to put it and, and how to use it and how to make it work for you, right? Uh, again, 401k, I max out my 401k with my employer just because they match. But like, I'm not using that for my retirement. That'll just be a nice little payout whenever I do retire you know to me it's it's the side business and the side hustles that are kind of helping me gain the income that I need to now invest in things like rental properties uh, cryptocurrencies you know nfts now as of a week ago, you know, I mean like that stuff didn't even exist when we were around and thinking about this stuff, you know, but at least I'm trying to keep the finger on the pulse so that, you know, I know because again, nobody's coming in and teaching us this stuff. You know, I feel like Kairos maybe do a decent job to talk about business and marketing throughout their programs. Um, but but it's one of the few that I've really heard that, you know, goes in and, and talks about the the real financials and the and the hard numbers on this stuff. So um, you know, like I said, I, I just appreciate what you guys are doing. I I wholeheartedly support it. Uh, I'm a fan of starting your own business. And the best part about it is you kept one foot in the boat of healthcare still. So, you know, that's what I preach to a lot of my students is that, look, you don't have to not be a PT or, you know, not be a healthcare provider. You can still do that. Uh, But there's other ways that you can use your skill sets that you learn to kind of incorporate that into helping others, whether it be, you know, within the healthcare field, or even if it goes outside of it a little bit, but um, you know, Doctors Nowitzki, thank you so much for your time, for coming on today and sharing your story with my audience. I really appreciate that. Um, where can people find you if they want to learn a little bit more about what you're up to and, and how you went about doing it?
2: Yeah, thank you again so much for having us. This was a blast. Uh, so we are at www.lifecoachingforwomenphysicians.com and everything can be accessed right there. We have a podcast, we have a blog. We have lots of goodies and we're creating more and that's always just updated right on the website.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, you guys. And I uh, look forward to seeing what your journey brings in the future and uh, keep doing doing what you're doing. Keep fighting the good fight because I, I promise it's making an impact.
3: Thank you, sir. Hopefully we can actually see you in person one of these days.
1: I hope so. Uh, You know, (laughs) Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, this thing turns around at some point, we can uh, go back to normalcy.
2: Thanks again.
0: Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare, which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today. And we hope that you learned something and gained value
1: from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook,